Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. Here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. Today is the final episode in our series, Hope for the Future of the Church. We've been talking about various issues and topics, especially those that are causing anxiety for many of us as we think about the division that exists in the world, in the culture, and even in the church, sadly. And as we think about the way things are right now, and we look towards the future, and we think, what what are things going to be like in the future? Is there any way for this situation to get better? We've invited several guests to be part of this series and think about the present circumstances and also think about the future. And think about how we navigate towards the future with grace, with love, and with hope about what Jesus has in store for his people. Today's subject is probably one of the most sensitive subjects that we've covered, one that the history of division and animosity and hurt and pain goes back for centuries. Uh, And that is the subject of race and racism, ethnicity, the division, the segregation, uh, the hatred, the bigotry that goes back in our culture and our history for a very long time. We've made a ton of progress or we've made some progress. The amount of progress that we've made is one of the, the subjects of debate. How much progress have we really made? How much progress do we have yet to make? And how does the church factor into that? How can we be a people that are helping people come together? How can we come together? How can we love each other and be a people of unity in a world of division? The the guest that I have today, uh, Brother Benjamin Lee, is a man that every time I see him speak and every time I see him some, post something on social media, I know that this is a brother who is filled with hope and who is helping others to walk in the hope that we have in Christ. So, Brother Lee, thank you for being part of our podcast today. You're welcome. It is nice to be on here with you, Wes, and thank you so much. And uh, you've been a big encouragement to me as well with all of the uh, articles you have written uh, throughout the years and seeing those. Those have been a, a big help to me as well. So nice to meet you and nice to be here. Well, thank you, brother. Uh, Benjamin preaches for the the West Main Church of Christ in Louisville, which is just down the road from me. And so we were just talking about how we we need to get together in person one of these days. But uh, but Benjamin also has a, a podcast of his own, and we'll uh, post a, a link to that in the show notes so that you can check out his podcast and all the fantastic stuff that he is doing. But we want to jump right into this topic uh, and just think through, I've been asking all of the guests the same questions as you look at the the situation that exists currently, what do you see as the good, the bad, the ugly? What, what's the situation from your perspective, especially as, as we think today about race and racism? Yeah, so if we were to start with uh, the church um, and start with uh, the good, with my experience, and I'll just go off of uh, my experience, um, you know, I was in Southeast Texas for about eight, eight and a half years preaching. That's where I first got started back in 2009. And the congregation there, uh, the Dallin Road Church, was a very diverse congregation, which if you're familiar with what, you know, what's happened in the past in Southeast Texas, um, that is not often the case where you have a church of a lot of diversity. And so um, that really helped me and opened my eyes to see that, yes, this is possible, that, um, you know, that this is this is what the church is supposed to be. Right. And so that was very encouraging to me. Uh, I can remember Wes. Um, 
I had the opportunity to preach in Vider, Texas. And, you know, for those who may not be familiar with the history in Vider, Texas, that used to be a big hub for the KKK. And there was a small local congregation there and they would invite me to come down there. I was in the training program from 2009 to 2011. So I had opportunities to go to different churches. And so if I had an opportunity, I was going to go. Uh, but I can remember some black brethren, you know, asking, you know, what, what are you doing? Where are you, you know, where are you going? And so, I mean, they invited me to go there. So I wasn't even familiar with some of the history, but people who have lived there, they can remember a lot of things that happened there throughout the years, right? The sundown rules where, you know, basically if you're black, don't be caught outside after dark and things like that. Uh, but that was, uh, that was encouraging that I had these opportunities to, to preach in Vider, Texas and be a part of a congregation in, uh, uh, in Beaumont that was uh, really diverse as well, uh, probably close to 50% black and 50% white. Um, and even where I'm at now, you know, sometimes people assume, you know, a black preacher, the church is predominantly black or a white preacher, the, the church is predominantly white. And that makes sense because that's probably how about 80 to 90% of local congregations, that's what they're made of, right? Or Hispanic. Uh, but our congregation is predominantly white. And so, you know, I've seen a lot of great things that are happening among brethren, uh, which I think is good. I mean, even you and I talking about this before you hit the record button, we were talking about, uh, I mentioned to you another opportunity that I had earlier in the week to talk about this as well. So it does feel like that people want to talk about this more. And I think that's always a great thing where we can have discussions because if we're silent on the issues, then that's when we really get into into trouble. Um, so I think that's the good news. I thank the Lord. I've had opportunities to visit other churches and to uh, to do sermons on racism. And so that says something. I think about leadership. Uh, says something about the congregation uh, that people are interested and want to know what does the Bible have to say um, with respect to the bad and the ugly. Well, there is bad and there is ugly. <laughs> And that's really, I think that's where it gets hard. I think that's the challenge of this conversation for a lot of people where we want to assume that there aren't any problems, right? Especially among brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. Um, there is room for us to grow. I definitely think there's room for, um, for Christians to grow in this subject. I talked to a sister in Christ uh, just a couple of days ago. And she, she shared some of the challenges uh, in her congregation of maybe it's not exactly racism, but implicit bias, stereotypes. Uh, maybe you could describe it as racism as well. Um, that's happening at this very moment in 2022. Um, you know, I had a Hispanic brother uh, mention to me how in 2018 he was, you know, trying out for a congregation or seeing if he could work there full time. And that congregation was predominantly white. And one of the brothers was honest with them. And I think that's a good thing where he just said, you know, at the moment, this congregation, you know, I don't think we're ready to have a Hispanic preacher. Hmm. Well, that's not good. And that's here in the state of Texas. Uh, I had a brother during the events that happened with uh, George Floyd in 2020 reach out to me. And he had mentioned how, I guess a number of years earlier, I never knew anything about this. Uh, my name had come up in a conversation among the elders about potentially bringing me in for a gospel meeting. <clears throat> and he had mentioned when my name come, came up that one of the elders said, you know, I don't know if the congregation would be comfortable with Ben. 
Hmm. And so the way that he understood that and, you know, with how the conversation went, I don't think it had anything to do about whether or not I was teaching false doctrine or anything like that. I think it was just really me being a black man. And that's what he shared with me. And, and so when I hear these stories among God's people, well, this is the bad and this is the ugly. And sometimes brethren just have a mindset of why do we need to even talk about this? It's 2022. And to some degree, they're correct. Why should we be talking about this? We have the gospel. We have the truth. And yet at the same time, if you look at Galatians chapter 2, why did Paul ever have to say anything to the apostle Peter? Peter had the gospel. He had the truth. He was the one that said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, because he still struggled with this issue of hypocrisy and bias. And so when I think about the good, there are good things. There are many great brethren who are, I like to call them, and I got this from another brother in Christ, pioneers who are seeking to bridge the gap and to, and to, and to demonstrate the love that we're supposed to have for one another. And yet there is a lot of room for us to grow in uh, among uh, with respect to this uh, topic. Yeah. From my perspective, and and I would love to hear you correct me if I'm wrong, but it felt like what's happened over the last couple of years, especially in regards to the conversation around this, is that when George Floyd was killed, of course, we were in the middle of a pandemic. And so I think that contributed to the the challenge of talking about things, because at least here at McDermott Road, when George Floyd died, we were still completely online. We weren't meeting in person. And so all of our members were interacting with each other virtually through Facebook. But I think when when that first happened, I saw an incredible amount of unity, an incredible amount of empathy, an incredible amount of willingness to have these really hard conversations. Um, and I saw just across the board, people saying, you know, maybe I don't know as much about this as I should, and maybe I should listen more. And a whole lot of people talking about listening. <laughs> That's an interesting idea, just talking about listening and, and saying, I'm willing to listen. And I, I felt like there was a lot of listening going on, but it didn't take very long. A few weeks later, it, it just felt like the conversation took a dramatic turn. Mm-hmm. And again, we were back to the dismissiveness. We were back to the defensiveness, uh, just a, a whole lot of just anger and frustration, people talking past each other, not really listening to each other. And and then the anger and animosity gave way again to a period of apathy. And it feels like maybe we're back into a season of apathy. And it just seems to go through these cycles where we we everything sort of blows up because something happens in the world and brings everything to the surface. And we talk about it for a little bit and we get angry at each other. And then we just sweep it under the rug and then we just kind of say, well, it's not happening anymore, or this isn't a problem. I'm not a racist, so I don't know why we're talking about this. And and we just don't want anybody to bring it up. Do you Have you found that, that those sort of cycles of, of conversation have happened in your world too? Yeah, and I appreciate you um, sharing all of that. It, it made me think about um, one of my elders. He did reach out to me um, very quickly after the, the news of uh, George Floyd and after I had watched the video. Uh, and that really did mean a lot to me. Um, uh, but I think you're right. I think there are these cycles. Um, and I think that sometimes is the challenging for blacks, um, you know, black people or black brethren, you know, where, you know, are the only time is the only time we're going to be heard is when something tragic or 
you know, something this big or that big actually happens. Right. Um, and I think, um, you know, I think there is that cycle of after a period of time, it almost reminded me of just when COVID started. You know, I can remember, I think the last uh, time we were in the building was uh, mid-March in 2020, and then we had to shut it down. Then eventually I was preaching in the back of a pickup truck in the parking lot, which was a lot of fun, by the way. But um, there was a lot of unity, uh, I think, among the entire country. We're going to get through this together. But then like two or three months later, politics you know, divided us and there's still a lot of division today, but going back to what you were saying, I think you're, I think you're right. I think there is this, um, there is a lot of sympathy and empathy out there when things like this happen. Um, but even when there's not a big event, and that's why I appreciate you talking about this as well, it still is a conversation that we have to have, uh, because just because something drastic or, you know, catastrophic is happening or hasn't happened, doesn't mean that this is not a problem. For God's people. And I think sometimes brethren may just feel like, well, this isn't a problem among churches of Christ. Um, well, I think it's been a challenge from the beginning. I mean, you look at Paul and or look at Peter in Galatians chapter two, and you we can see that this was a challenge. You look at um, uh, Acts chapter 11 when, uh, when Peter returned back to Jerusalem. I don't know how the brethren found out about it, but they found out that he had eaten with Gentiles. And so that was a huge deal. And so this has been a challenge. And there are some people out there that think, no, this isn't a problem anymore. But it, it has been a problem for a long time. And the reason why there are a lot, there is a lot of segregation. And I want to be clear that it's not sinful if a church is made up of all black people or white people or Hispanic people. And, and I, don't, I don't always like to use all that language, but just for the sake of emphasis, you know, sometimes that's just geographical. Um, but you go back to the early 20th century, there were many white brethren that would convert blacks and then buy them a building down the road mm-hmm. for, and, and some brethren I'm convinced. And after this conversation that I had with someone, they had no idea or that for many years in the, in the early, in the mid 1900s, you know, blacks would be in the, uh, would be in the balcony and the white brethren would be on the floor. So this has been a problem for a long time. There has been a lot of improvement, I think. But this is reason for us to continue to talk about it uh, because Peter, it says in Galatians 2, he stood condemned. So this is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of pride and foolishness when you think about what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7. And it's a, it's a reason for us. It really is reason for us to talk about this. And I'll just say one, one other thing, too. It's, it's always interesting how this is a hard topic to preach on. But then my question is, why is it so hard? If you look at baptism, for example, we're in the minority that baptism is essential for salvation when you look at it from the world's perspective, right? But, but we talk about that. Or homosexuality, or fornication, or adultery, or abortion, or uh, covetousness, whatever the top, whatever the sin may be. And so why is there something so unique about pride? And this, the bias, and the and and the and, and this kind of heart problem, when we know that this was this has been a problem from the very beginning. Now, when you look at the Book of Acts, uh, this has been a challenge for God's people. So it, it's something we have to continue to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's so many there's so many layers to what you you just brought up. I think one of those, and it it really has been a theme throughout this entire series about hope for the future, is that that so much in our culture and even in the church, sadly, has become so 
political. Yes. And I always say my politics are simple. Jesus is king. That's those are my <laughs> politics. But uh, but but when we say polit- political, you know, they've become attached to worldly political ideologies so much so that it it makes it difficult to even have these conversations because people say, wow, you're, you know, you're, you're talking about the history of racism in America. You, you must be pushing critical race theory, or you must be, you must be liberal. You must be a Marxist. And so often I've been accused of those kinds of things when I want to talk about, as you said, sin, like sin that, that I can see with my eyes and hear with my ears that I can listen to my brothers and sisters that have experienced the painful consequences of sin. And I want to talk about sin, which is a spiritual issue. And yet this defensiveness of trying to fit it into political categories um, is, is so unnecessary. And I think that steering the conversation away from that to what you've already done and pointing us back to scripture in that these these categories of sin and righteousness, justice, the, the world is calling for justice. And we should be as God's people, as Jesus' people, we're we should be experts on the subject of justice. This is yes. this is our this is our wheelhouse. This this is our <laughs> subject. And, and yet we steer away from it because we say, well, you know, we don't want to deal with all of that when when we can't. We we have to be the people to to bring this truth in. So as we think about scripture and, and Bible, yeah. what what are some of the the passages and the ideas and the truths from scripture that really shape your thinking on these topics? Well, I think going to the beginning has to be the the first place that we turn to, right? So Genesis chapter one and verse 26, then God said, Let us make man in our image. And if we just stop right there, I think that would change everything, that all of us are made in the image of God. And so how we treat one another, it absolutely matters. And how we view one another, it matters so much that all of us are made uh, in God's image. And so that's something that I think absolutely has to be emphasized um, time and time again, where we don't look at other people and and view them as being uh, inferior to ourselves or less important or not as human or whatever the case may be, but we're all made in the image of God. Uh, A second passage would be uh, Luke chapter 10, where Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So to, to talk about people or to belittle people or to treat people differently or to play the role of a hypocrite, well, that's not how we are to treat. Uh, our neighbors? And is that really demonstrating this love that we are supposed to have, right, from for, for one another? So that's another passage that has really helped me with this topic as well. Uh, Wes, I really love Acts chapter 10. I just think Acts chapter 10 is such a fascinating chapter where, you know, and I mentioned this earlier in Acts 2, and these are two other passages where, where Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And 3, 000, about 3,000 souls were saved. Uh, and yet he struggled with this when you get to Acts chapter 10. It took miracles and the Holy Spirit to get him to the house of Cornelius. And even then, he was like, well, what, do you, what am I doing here? Why am I here? I should not even be here. But I love Acts chapter 10 because it, it shows this, uh, this, this, uh, this transformation or this progression in the heart of Peter where he finally understood what was happening. And he finally figured out um, how he should really be thinking. In Acts 10 and verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. 
but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. So it, it just took him a long time to get it. And this is something that I think is so important as well. You look at Acts 2 and Acts chapter 10, more than one sermon is necessary <laughs> to drive this point home. He already preached the sermon. He did that back on the day of Pentecost. And yet it would still be years later where he's still struggling. There's another verse that I really love at the end of Acts chapter 10 that we may overlook sometimes, or at least the last part of it. We often emphasize, and for right reason, verse 48, he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I love this last part of it. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. So can you imagine what that would have been like with Peter and these other Jewish brethren staying at the house of Cornelius for a few days? I just think that's something really powerful where you just mentioned it a few minutes ago, listening. So what kind of conversations were they having? This was something that was really big, and I think it's a good template for us to follow where we have to spend time with one another. We have to get to know one another. We have to interact with one another. We have to understand even some of the differences from our backgrounds and our cultures. That's okay. We have to do that, but it will, it will require time. And so I love going to this passage as well. Uh, Galatians chapter 2 is another passage as well that has shaped me and made me think about a lot of things, uh, even with me having the courage to, to talk about this because it can be intimidating because what if brethren get upset or what if someone is upset or what if they assume, why is he trying to rock the boat? There's not, there's not any problem here. But Galatians chapter two, we see how Peter or Paul went to uh, Peter and it says in verse number 11, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So that last section, I guess there's two things here. Paul had to say something. He had to say something to Peter, not to beat him up, not to make himself feel superior, but because his, his soul was in jeopardy. And I think that's something that we miss. This is a heart issue. And I, I don't know for sure if someone is racist or is struggling with this issue. It's only by their fruit that we're going to know where a person is. But, but Paul had that ability to know that Peter was playing the role of a hypocrite and others were being influenced, and Peter stood condemned. So this is why this topic is so important to discuss, because souls are at stake if they do not repent. And so that section there has, has had a big impact on me when I talk to people and share with them, this is what the Bible has to say. And I'll just give you one more, and then I'll stop here. Uh, James chapter 3, and there's a lot more that we could say for sure. Uh, but when James speaks about the tongue in, in James chapter 3, uh, does a fountain um, send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? You know, so the, the comments, uh, the jokes, the things that we say about other people, that shouldn't be coming out of our mouth as the people of God. And so the Bible just gives us all this wisdom and instruction. Verse 10 from, some, from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And that's, that's, that's perfect for, for us today. It should not be this way. You know, how we talk, how we view people who are, you know, uh, who are black or white or Hispanic or Asian or whoever they may be. Uh, there's a proper way to view one another. 
I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. Oh wow, so many, so many great things I, I kind of want to touch on that, yeah. that you brought up. Just so many great points. I, I love that you brought up Peter and his journey yes. because first you have you have Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, this this gospel message that everyone is welcome in the body of Christ. But then, as you said, it takes a miracle for him <laughs> to be able to actually see that and embrace that. But yes. then, as you pointed out, from Paul's letter to the Galatians, that Peter actually took a step backwards. Yes. He, he had already met with Cornelius. He had to go back to Jerusalem and and tell the rest of the apostles that weren't so sure about this whole Gentile thing, hey, no, listen, God's on board. We, we got to do what God says. You know, they, they, they got the Holy Spirit just like we did. So, so we're all good. And he had to convince everyone else. And then he goes to Antioch, and he's hanging out with his Gentile brothers and eating and everything is good because he knows this is the way it should be. And then these Judaizing brothers come up from Jerusalem and they get to the church at Antioch. And, you know, we always talk about peer pressure. When we say the phrase peer pressure, we think about teenagers. Yes. And I think that's a shame because I think that adults are just as vulnerable to peer pressure as as young people are. And they put peer pressure on Peter and because of that influence, yes. he drew back away from his Gentile brothers. Even though he knew better intellectually, yes. he went along with the crowd. So much so, and this is the one that really gets me, is Barnabas. Yes, <laughs> and Barnabas I know. is like, no, not Barnabas. <laughs> and then Barnabas is even drawn away. And I think that you bring up a great point that this is why we have to always be preaching this. Because yes. if... If racism exists in the world, then if if there's any hint of it, explicit or implicit, um, hidden or obvious, it's going to affect and influence people in the church because we're influenced by our peers, we're influenced by our culture, and we can find ourselves. I'm convinced that Peter didn't realize what he was doing. He was being yeah. influenced by these guys and not even realizing that he was doing this. And Paul had to rebuke him and bring it to his attention. And we have to do the same thing because there's this gradual slide towards the flesh, this gradual slide yes. towards sin, if we're not constantly on guard against it. Well, and you're exactly right. And I, I love the language to uh, this journey uh, of the Apostle Peter. And I, talk, I, I use this as an example in a sermon, I believe, I, can't, I think last year, where and I think this is important for people who are listening too, where he had a background. You know, I mean, this was something that was against, you know, you think about John 4, you know, what, you know, what are we doing in Samaria? Why are you talking to this Samaritan woman? And mm -hmm. the views that the Jews had at that time. So this was, they were heavily, heavily entrenched in this. And so I think there's something important for all of us. Like if this is the standard here, there is going to be this progress uh, for those who may be watching the video, right? And sometimes we may get here. Some other people may get here a little bit further. And so all of us are on this journey depending upon our background. So for example, I think my background is different from some black brethren and black people as a whole. 
who grew up in the South. I grew up in central Illinois. I don't know if I had a lot of things with respect to racism. If I did, I probably didn't see it or didn't pick up on it. But my, my mindset shifted when I went to Southeast Texas. My eyes were opened even more. So my journey may be a little bit further than other people who have experienced, you know, so many things that I've never experienced before. So, you know, people who grew up and saw lynchings and just horrific things, it's going to take them longer and they may never even get to this, this standard. So we have to have some patience and understanding and that has to go both ways. It has to go both ways with respect to how we uh, treat one another and being willing to forgive one another. But that's why I really love this uh, the, the story here of Peter, because you're exactly right. And there's a brother in Christ. I like what he says. You know, we can all start off with a spoken understanding, right? We, we talk about a subject. Like, for example, baptism is essential for salvation. We get it. And to the point where brethren say, okay, we don't need to hear another sermon on that. We understand that. So then that spoken understanding turns into an unspoken understanding. We're on the same page. We're just not talking about it. That unspoken understanding, then eventually, if not careful, as what you mentioned with the flesh, with peer pressure and culture, it can turn into an unspoken misunderstanding. And then in the process of time, a spoken misunderstanding. And I think that can happen even with race. There's no more need to talk about it. We get it. It's wrong. We shouldn't do it. Then why are so many brethren struggling with this? And why are there brethren out there who are still uncomfortable if their white daughter marries a black man? Why is this such a big topic that no one wants to touch? It's because we're allowing the culture, politics. We left and right the issue. And that's, that's, the, that's one of the biggest obstacles. As soon as we start doing that, and there's a reason why a lot of people, black people sometimes, and there's other people as well, um, don't always say a lot because it's like death by a thousand cuts. Who's going to believe me? Or he's just, he's just, he's just angry about something else today. And so, you know, Peter gives us his journey that it does take time for people and everybody has to be understanding of that because we all have these different backgrounds we don't know, you know, where we have come from or where others have come from and some of those struggles that we may not even be aware of. Yeah. You know, you, you brought up something in the very beginning, you brought up the beginning in the beginning of the conversation and the idea that we're, that all people are created as God's image bearers. We, we are made in the image of God. All people are. And that Imago Dei, that doctrine of God creating human beings in his image, that actually should have been maintained throughout the Jewish history. They should have maintained, because that was the beginning of their law, was the idea that all nations descended from Adam, and Adam was created in the image of God, and therefore all human beings are created in the image of God. Yet somewhere along the line, that doctrine was corrupted. And it's interesting to think about racism. You know, it's, we, we say that word so often, we think that just means being mean to people because of race, but it's actually an ism. Like any other ism, it's an ideology. And it started off, I don't know that everybody knows this, I'm sure you're familiar with this, but that that, that ideology started as a 
pseudoscience as a uh, as a sociological ideology where mm. people traveled the world and they say, well, these people obviously belong to a, a distinct group of humans. These are a distinct group of humans. These are a distinct group of humans. And not only classifying them as distinct groups of humans, but categorizing them and putting them in a hierarchy where there was a white superiority from the beginning with this corrupt pseudoscience ideology. But this pseudoscience of race, it actually got into not only into education so that it was taught in the schoolhouse, but sadly it worked its way into Christianity so that it was taught in the church house. And that that really puts it in the category of a false doctrine. The idea that we are distinct types of people and that some types of people are better, superior than others and others are inferior, this is a false doctrine, a false doctrine that corrupted the church for hundreds of years and continues to be a false doctrine that's perpetrated. And again, just like with Peter, sometimes we don't even recognize and realize that this false doctrine is is influencing us we we as theologians we we talk about things like calvinism and we talk about you know all different kinds of isms and how sometimes the person in the pew who may not really be aware that actually what you're thinking how you're thinking is being influenced by calvinism or by this ism or that ism sometimes as it, as it pertains to race race is a as a social reality for sure because we have different cultures now because of that racial ideology but it's not a it's not a biological reality there is one human race mm-hmm. and and this idea that people are parts of separate distinct and superior inferior groups is a false doctrine, a false doctrine that the first two pages, the first two (laughs) chapters of the Bible refutes. And yet we allow that false doctrine to creep into the church. And so as preachers, we have to refute that false doctrine. That's our job. Absolutely. No, well said. I think you're exactly right. And there's a lot to to think about with, with everything you said. But yeah, it's a false doctrine. And it's interesting. And we do have to be careful of how we are influenced. Uh, And that can even just be with like implicit bias, you know, where we, you know, we just make assumptions about people. And sometimes we don't even understand or know that it's actually happening. And and so that's where the the courage comes in from from people like uh, Paul, um, you know, willing to talk to Peter, you know, that had to be challenging and intimidating, I would say. But but he he understood what was at stake. And so, yeah, that from the very beginning, this should have been case closed. This is how it is. Uh, and this is how you view everybody. And but we know how fast things changed, uh, even in the beginning. You know, my mind always goes to um, Jonah as well. Mm-hmm. You know, where Jonah, you know, it's just fascinating how he treated the people in Nineveh. And he's like, I know, God, you're just too compassionate and merciful and loving. But his view of those people it was directly opposed to God and he was angry about it. And, and God had to help him to understand you're not the one that sets the tone or the rules. I want to give them a chance to repent. And so this has been a challenge for, I think for people for, for centuries. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought up Jonah. I, I think that's a perfect, that's a perfect story. And it's a, a perfect way to, to frame the problem that we become so tribal and we yes. become you know, I always like to say about Jonah that Jonah loved, I'm sure, 
the mercy and the grace of God. He just liked it for himself and yes. for other people. Because and he wasn't this, willing to yeah. extend that to, to his enemies. And um, wow, I just, I think that, that Jonah really is this, this picture of what is coming in Jesus, that Jesus is the antithetical Jonah. You know, he is, he's exactly the opposite. He's the one who's willing to extend the grace and mercy of God to, to everybody. Uh, and that's really, that's really what the church should be is, yeah. is this multi-ethnic, multi-tribal, multilingual, multinational family where yes. we are showing the world we are showing the world what it looks like to be reconciled, to be one. Um, and, and we, we can't, I'd like to say we can't let the world outdo us. You know, we can't let the world, uh, but, but that, that's the thing is that the world will always spiral into tribalism of one type or another. Uh, the church has to be, has to be different. And I really truly believe like you began with the, the good. I see so much of that. I see so yeah. much, uh, beauty and and grace and and unity in the church that is allowing uh, these walls of hostility to be broken down. So, Benjamin, as we as we close, help paint a picture for us, if you would, of what the future might look like for the church if we were to really put away the false doctrines of the culture and the politics and really embrace the gospel and these truths that you've laid out. I think it would be a, an amazing future, uh, no question about it. And I, I think there is reason for us to be optimistic, uh, even in times like this. There, there is a way, and the solution has already been given to us, and, and that's through uh, through Jesus. And the more we can truly believe what the Bible has to say, uh, the better off we're going to be. And I think I think there's such a huge opportunity for for the church uh, to grow like never before where people can see that forgiveness is real, uh, that reconciliation, that brothers and sisters can can, can get along with one another, uh, that we truly believe Galatians 3 and verse number 28 and Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 about you know forgiveness and, and being one. And so I just think there's a great opportunity for all of us. And I think one of the big things for us to do, to, to, to do this, obviously we have to trust in God and we have to trust in his word. Uh, I think evangelism, reaching the lost, is this opportunity that we could do it as well. Uh, our churches should look like our communities. And as we think about Genesis chapter one, that everyone's made in the image of God, we, we need to give everybody an opportunity to to um, to understand who Jesus is and uh, and how they can be delivered from their sins as well. And so I think evangelism is something uh, that will certainly help us. Um, I think uh, being a pioneer like Barnabas in Acts chapter nine. Um, who stood with Paul when he got to Jerusalem? One person. But that's all it takes. All it takes is one person. We may, we think there has to be something so big, but these small changes will have mm -hmm. a ripple effect for generations to come. So how we teach our children, how we correct one another, how we forgive one another, how we get comfortable with maybe being uncomfortable with more preachers, um, uh, talking about this, preaching on this subject, um, all of this will play, a, a, I think, a dramatic um, uh, role in, in, in where the church can be in the future. So I think we need to be optimistic about it. Uh, if the brethren in the first century could overcome and do this, then we can do this as well. There's nothing, this is not a new challenge, and this is not just a problem for America. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sin problem around the world. Uh, 
And so the gospel still has the power to save and um, hearts can be changed. And so if we go in with that mindset, we talk about it, um, uh, then great things are going to happen for sure. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing to that end. Thank you for the kingdom work you're doing, brother. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.